Well, Nashville has Taylor Swift fever. Um, I look around, I see some people conspicuously absent today, uh, who probably left downtown at about 1 a.m. When I first came to Nashville, Taylor Swift was 17 years old, and she was an up-and-coming country star uh, in this town. Um, but I don't think anybody, and I've talked to different artists, had any idea exactly how big she would get in both the country and the pop world. But I do remember that many of her early songs were focused on relationships and breakups, right? Uh, songs like Love Story and Tim McGraw and You Belong With Me and We're Never, Ever, Ever, Ever Getting Back Together. Remember that one? <laughs> but she struck a chord because she was able to put music to what many young people feel and experience. And she was able to talk about the pain and the heartache uh, that comes from love and breakups and being rejected. And she's now taken that talent and it's on a global stage as a pop artist. Um, I think what Taylor Swift realized in those early years is that life is full of heartache and rejection and pain and perhaps there is no worse feeling than loving somebody and not having them love you in return, right? And she put that to music because she realized that music helps heal in life. Music helps heal the soul. It's part of why we always have music in worship. It, it, it helps heal. Today we're starting a new sermon series that's focused on healing. And, and, and one of the big reasons that we're doing this is very simple. We all need healing in our lives. We are all broken to some degree. We all face problems and challenges, and we all long for healing. And after this spring in Nashville and everything that this town and this community has lived through, we all need healing. Many of you know my personal story because I've shared it with you over the years. Um, if you're newer to Woodmont, you may not know it. I finished Princeton Seminary May of 2005, and I moved back to my hometown of Memphis. Um, my mother had been battling mental illness for quite some time. Uh, I moved back there so that I could try to help her and also to serve at my home church. But on September the 2nd, 2005, I was at the airport, and I got a phone call from my sister as I was about to board a plane to go to Oklahoma. Uh, TC was playing uh, at Oklahoma that weekend. They won, by the way. Um, but I got a phone call from my sister that said she had found a suicide note from her mom, but she couldn't find her mom anywhere. And so I left the airport, and I headed back home. And then by the time I got to our house, there were ambulances and fire trucks and police cars. And it was very clear to me that I no longer had a mother. That was my story. Been almost 18 years, part of my story. We all need healing because we all hurt. We all go through situations that we wish we didn't have to go through. Part of this series, I'm recommending a great book. The staff is reading it right now, but it's a book by a guy named Jerry Sitzer. And the book is called A Grace Disguised. And we have them in our bookstore. You can get it on Amazon. But here's the story of Jerry Sitzer. He lives, uh, he teaches at Whitworth University. And years ago, he was in a minivan with his family um, traveling down a two-lane highway late at night, and he had a head-on collision, and he and two of his children survived a car accident where he lost his wife, his mother, and his daughter. And the other two, the other three of them survived. 
And so he's writing out of the pain of having to live through that. In the book, he says, the soul is elastic. It's like a balloon. It can grow larger through suffering. Loss can enlarge its capacity for anger, depression, despair, and anguish, all natural and legitimate emotions when we experience loss. But once it's enlarged, the soul is also capable of experiencing greater joy and strength and peace and love. Catastrophic loss, he says, by definition, precludes recovery. It will transform us or destroy us, but it will never leave us the same. There's no going back to the past, which is gone forever, only going ahead to the future, which is yet to be discovered. You know, it seems to me that the longer we live, the more pain we have to witness and endure. And maybe I'm more aware of this because of what I do as a pastor, and I'm there for people during some of their most difficult times of life. But I have to admit, there are many days when the bad news keeps coming, when suffering and death and misfortune seem to pile up, when hopelessness seems to smother out hope, when life seems to give us more than, than we can bear. These are the days that may cause uh, all of us to think, you know, does the good really outweigh the bad? And why do we have to suffer so much? Why? Many will remind us that God will never give us more in life than we can handle, but there are days when we wonder, how much more can we take? And so we find ourselves struggling with that age-old question of theodicy, which is how can we continue to affirm the lordship of God in the face of horrendous evil? Or to put it differently, if God is both omnipotent and good, then why is there so much evil in the world? These are very hard questions that we ask. I want to begin this series with five fundamental truths that I want you to think about. Kind of will come back to these. The first one is this. Every human being experiences pain, loss, and suffering. Some people have more suffering than others, but we all have it. It's part of the human condition. It's part of living life. The second truth, hurting people go and hurt others. You know, most people, when they're hurting in life, they turn around and they hurt others. And, and this becomes a very vicious cycle that makes things worse. Third truth, healing takes time. It doesn't happen fast. And the deeper the pain and the heartache, the more time it takes to get through it. Fourth truth, faith and healing go hand in hand. In other words, we heal in life by strengthening our faith. Faith is what gets us through the difficult times. It doesn't mean that, that life works out the way that we plan. We all know that that's not true. But it does mean that we can make it through whatever comes our way with God's help and with the help of each other. And the last truth is Jesus heals and he gives us hope. That's what I told the children this morning. Jesus heals and he gives us hope. Throughout the Gospels, we find all of these examples of Jesus healing and giving people hope. And Paul reminds us that suffering 
produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. But we have to remember that Jesus heals. He always has. We find this story in Luke 5 that Jay read. Jesus was teaching and the people were coming from all over Judea to to hear him and to be healed. And then all of a sudden some men showed up carrying a paralyzed man, one of their friends on a bed, a stretcher. And they were trying to get him in to the house so Jesus could heal him. But the crowd was so great, they couldn't get him close. And so what did they do? They took him up on the roof. They found the spot where Jesus was. They took off the tiles and they lowered Jesus down. I mean, not Jesus down, the man down in front of Jesus. When he saw this, he said to the man, friend, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees who were there got angry and they said, only God can forgive sins. What does this guy think he's doing? Jesus was aware of their question, so he said, well, what's easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say stand up and walk? And then he says, so that you know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, stand up, take up your bed, and go to your home. And that's exactly what happened. The paralyzed man was healed, and everybody was amazed. Now, how exactly did Jesus heal this paralyzed man? I don't know. But when I read the Bible, it tells me that he was healed. And I believe it. Healing mattered to Jesus. And one of the reasons he became so popular is because people would travel from near and far to be healed by him. And I can't answer for you specifically how Jesus healed, but I do know that he healed And the people left his presence with a new lease on life. And I still think that's the case. I still think that Jesus heals and we can leave his presence with a new lease on life. How does that happen? How do we heal? How do you need to heal this morning based on whatever it is you've been through? First, I think we heal by seeking Jesus. That's the first answer. The same way that people sought Jesus during his life and ministry, we must continue to seek him today. And Jesus has the power to heal us in many different ways. And he does. You know, in a world of violence, he brings peace. In a world of division and toxic politics and polarization, he brings unity. In a world of fear and anxiety, He brings calm and comfort in a world of ego and selfishness where we feel like we have to be the best. He brings humility in a world of darkness and loneliness and despair. He brings hope. You know, Jesus can heal us, but only if we continue to seek him through prayer, through Bible study, through worship, through small groups, through relationships. Healing should be at the heart of our faith because it mattered to Jesus. And Jesus heals even in the most difficult situations. The second answer that I have for you about how do we heal is let's remember this. We heal together. Not not alone. Not isolated. You may have seen this past week or the week before the Surgeon General of the United States came out and said something we already knew 
that loneliness has become is an epidemic in our culture and it's a really big problem, meaning we have a loneliness epidemic in American culture. And, 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 and surprise, surprise, social media seems to be making it worse, not better. Too many people in our society are alone. They are broken. And even worse, they feel like nobody cares. But Christianity reminds us that people do care. And life is to be lived in community. You know, in our story today, it was the man's friends who brought him to Jesus. He was paralyzed. He, he couldn't do it on his own. So his friends picked him up and they took him to Jesus. And when they couldn't get him close to him, they figured out a way to get him to Jesus. Go to the roof, lower him down. His friends helped him. We heal together. We help each other. You know, I think about the covenant school and church community and everything that they've been going through or still going through. And guess what? I've heard time and time again from families there how thankful they are to have each other because they are helping each other move forward. Sometimes we might need time to ourselves in life. We all need to unplug from time to time, but real healing happens around others and in relationships. We heal together. I always want this church, and we've made this a priority, a vision priority for years. I want this to be a healing church. And so think about the things that we do here, from, from grief care, to divorce care, to AA, to Al-Anon, to Stephen Ministry, to small groups, to pastoral counseling. All of this reminds us that we're called to heal together. And I hope that Woodmont never loses its focus on healing, because we are helping people heal multiple days of the week. The third answer to how we heal is that we heal through forgiveness. And a lot of people miss this one because they say they want to forgive, but ultimately they don't, or they feel like they can't, or they keep bringing the same things back up over and over again. You know, on Easter Sunday, I quoted uh, theologian N.T. Wright who says, Jesus' followers are to go out into the world equipped with the powers of his own spirit to announce that a new reality has come to birth and that its name is forgiveness. You see, resurrection and forgiveness are the hallmarks, the telltale signs, the characteristics of the new creation. Until we learn how to forgive, we're going to keep carrying the same old baggage through life. And I don't know about you, but I want to be forgiven. I don't want to be judged by the worst things that I've done in my life. And so Jesus says, forgive if you want to be forgiven. And we pray every week, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus told the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. But we can't just talk about forgiveness, friends. We have to practice it. We have to want to practice it. And guess what? You don't even have to tell the other person that you've forgiven them. Just live it. Let it go. You know, one of the hardest things in life, I think, is to figure out when to stand up for yourself and when to let it go. Fourth, we heal 
by building margin into our lives. You know, this spring has been one of the busiest stretches that I've ever experienced as a pastor. From the covenant tragedy, and then everything that happened after, to many, many funerals that we've had here at Woodmont, longtime members, young people, to Holy Week, to Easter, to baptism. You know, I feel like I was in overdrive for like five or six weeks. I didn't take any days off for weeks. You may remember back in January, I mentioned a book by Peter Scazzaro called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And one of the things that Scazzaro says in that book is that there is a big difference between being busy for God versus actually being with God. Do you remember that differentiation he made? So true. So true. Many people, many Christians, many church leaders and ministers are busy for God. But that doesn't mean that they're spending time with God, refilling their own cup. We all need margin in our lives to rest, to reset, to reflect, and to grow. And when we go for a period of time without it, you know, we can feel it. The end of a school year is crazy because of everything going on. You know, it's like they assume parents don't have jobs and you can be up there every day for field day and for whatever the next party is, right? No, I still work. (laughs) And then the summer comes and it's welcome relief, but we need margin. We need downtime. We, we don't have to schedule every hour of every day, every night of every week. But that's what so many people do. And if you need time to heal or grieve, then it becomes much harder to do it if you're overbooked. And many people live their lives overbooked. Lastly this morning, I think we heal in life by facing our pain, which includes tending to our mental health. What does that mean? It means that we can't run from it. We can't deny it. We can't hide it. We all have to face certain things. You know, many people go through life wounded and hurt, and they have no idea why they are wounded and hurt. And then typically what they do is they just blame other people. And so one of the best things that we can do is know ourselves and know our story. Counseling is important, but you got to find a good counselor. Talking through our problems with other people is important, but you got to find people that you can trust to talk to. We have to face it. We have to deal with it. And yes, we now live in a world where mental health has been in rapid decline. And the best thing that we can do is take care of our own mental health, do the self-care necessary, take care of our family's mental health. We choose who we talk to about it. Finding people that you trust is a big deal. In the book that I'm recommending by Jerry Sitzer, he says, it's therefore not true that we become less through loss unless we allow the loss to make us less, grinding our soul down until there's nothing left but an external self entirely under the control of circumstances. Loss can also make us more. In the darkness, we can still find the light. In death, we can also find life. It just depends on the choices that we make. But we have to face our pain, whatever it is, and, and, and we have to work through it. 
And then what we find is that over time, with God's help and with the help of others, the pain is not as raw because time does help heal. And then we can become what, what theologian Henry Nouwen calls the wounded healer, meaning we're able to use our own wounds in life to go and help others heal. In fact, that's what Jay and I talk about in discipleship classes is the things that you've been through in life, whether it was a divorce or an addiction or a financial hardship, you now have the power to go and help other people deal with the same thing. Are you using it? And that's what I did after my mom's death. I, I, I said, I can take this awful situation and I can use it to help others. And I've had the chance to, to help many, many other people who've been through the same thing. Henry Nouwen says this, and I want you to hear this as a close. The beginning and the end of all Christian leadership is to give your life for others. The best ministry and the best leadership comes when we use our own pain to go and help others. That's the gospel lived out. That's how we love. That's how we make a difference. Amen.